You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and thanks for joining our Solar Insiders podcast. This is Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, joined as usual by Nigel Morris from uh, Solar Analytics. Jeez, I had to spell that one out. Um, How are you, Nigel? (laughs) How are you going, Giles? It's a big word for this time of day, I've got to say. It it is, it is. I know, you know, Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Look, this is our second episode of Solar Insiders, and I've got to thank all our listeners for tuning in the first time. We've got some fantastic feedback, and um, we did appreciate that. We've got some subject suggestions, and we did appreciate that, and we've got well over 1,000 people listening, and um, that's great. great start, Nigel. Excellent start, excellent start. I, yeah, it was really great to have so much feedback and a um, huge number of suggestions, so we're going to be here for a long time if we try to get through them all. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Um, today's um, subject is going to be fire risk in solar systems, and we've probably heard a bit about sort of um, the battery storage standards coming up. That's probably a different subject. Before we get into the fire risk of, um, of, of rooftop solar and what we can do about it, um, let's just talk about some of the other subjects. Um, big solar eclipse in the US overnight. Um, the, big, the big impact was going to be on California because it's got the most solar capacity in the US. Um, it was going to lose about two-thirds of that capacity at various times of the day or during the morning. It only had a partial eclipse rather than a total eclipse, but it sailed through without any issues. I love that story. We saw the same thing in Europe a few years ago, right? That was That's right, Germany in uh, 2015, and we're going to have one of our own in 2028, so uh, the market operator's got 11 years to prepare. But what, <laughs> might be, what might be interesting about it, though, is how much solar we actually have at that time, because, gee, I reckon that rooftop solar capacity would have tripled. Um, the amount of utility-scale solar PV would have risen tenfold, if not more, and that total eclipse is going to go clear straight across Australia and go straight across Sydney and um, other parts of New South Wales. Well, I think the lesson we've learned from all of this, in, from both this one and, and the, the one a few years back in Europe, is that if it's managed well and you've got sophisticated network operators, it's not a problem. It is not a problem. No, look, the biggest issue for all these operators, and it's going to be the same for AEMO this summer, is actually in the heat and when some of the fossil fuel plants conk out unexpectedly. And uh, we actually saw that in California with about 6,000 megawatts of gas unavailable in the June heat wave. Wow. Look, one other thing I wanted to get beforehand, um, a bit more crackdown, a couple of warnings about some sort of dodgy practices happening around the place. Now, the clean energy regulator thankfully cracked down on another installer the other day. Um, apparently um, creating fake or um, useless or ineligible um, certificates. Um, What's going on here, Nigel? It's about time this happened, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, this particular one, and I agree, it's great to see the attention continuing. In this case, they pinged someone for not being licensed and accredited, I believe. Um, And, uh, you know, as a result, they had to do what, undertake certain things to correct that. all I can say is it's great that we've got the clean energy regulator out there batting away on this stuff. And look, another warning that we should also issue is that there's been a fair few people have received a letter in the mail um, over the last couple of days. We're going to be writing a story about this in Renew Economy in One Step Off the Grid. Um, and that's about from a, um, a group of people who are offering discounts or 50% discounts on battery storage installations. 
Now that sounds nice, the only problem is they're actually sort of doubling the price before they offer the discount, so there's actually no discount at all. And oh, I think as we discussed last week, Nigel, if you've got a door-to-door operator or someone sending you stuff through the mail, then just be very wary. Indeed, and, and this one's a really interesting one for me because I know quite a few people who've received those letters. Uh, several people in our office have received them, and the interesting thing to me is that none of these people who received the letters that I've spoken to or met have ever had anything to do with this company. So the question has to be asked, how are they getting your details? Um, that's and the big one for it me. It seems to be going to people who have installed solar whose name must have been registered somewhere, so there may be some privacy issues here. That's the concern. Mm, indeed. Look, um, we'll do take that warning seriously for any folk out there thinking about solar or battery storage because, um, you know, unfortunately, it's a great industry, it's great technology, but there's a few dodgy brothers out there and um, we've got to be careful. Let's get on to the biggest issue. Now, we've heard a lot of concern about the battery storage installations and um, the new standards and the fears of fire and things like that. And that's a subject for another day, as I mentioned before. But... Um, in Australia, we've actually got a bit of a fire risk from rooftop solar. Or do we have a, I should say, do we have a fire risk from rooftop solar? And I'm thinking about DC isolators. And um, can you just run through the issue here, Nigel, about what, what the issue is and, and how it came about? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. In fact, I think it was the number one that we got requests for was to talk about this issue. So we go right back to the beginning. The interesting thing is right back in the late 90s, there was a solar program in uh, Victoria uh, run by a network company called the 100 Rooftop Program. First time that we were ever going to see 100 grid connect systems in a batch, which was very exciting in its day. As a result of that, especially with these guys being a network company, one of their big focuses was on how do we keep our linesmen safe. And uh, it was early days when it comes to grid connect. So one of the things that they asked for was a rooftop isolator that their linesmen could see as they were driving down the road in their trucks in the event that they had to do some lines work, they'd like to be able to see that there was an isolator there and potentially see whether the solar array was isolated or not. That was one of the first times that we saw these sort of start to proliferate. And then over the years, um, uh, they basically spread more widely. We saw some quite good um, uh, initiatives from people to try and keep industry safe, to keep solar well regulated, to keep the specifications high so that everyone was safe and protected and everything else. And then, you know, fast forward uh, to today and they are everywhere on every installation. So, so they've become like the de facto industry standard. They have, they have. They've become a standard uh, that is required in every solar system on the roof. But they're not necessarily a very good idea. Why not? Well, the interesting thing is that they were put there really for two reasons. One was to be able to isolate the solar system at the rooftop in the event of a problem or needing to work on the wiring in the house or something else like that. And secondly, it's like any other circuit breaker, it's there to protect the cabling in the event of a fault. However, what we have found looking at the statistics is that in the vast majority of cases, um, in, it varies a little bit, but in the majority of cases, rooftop isolators are actually the number one failure point um, statistically speaking, in a lot of situations. Um, so, stands to reason, if you put a box up on the roof and you put a circuit breaker in there, it's exposed to very, very harsh conditions, and the number of photos that I've seen is bewildering where they've leaked, they've got water in, 
or they failed catastrophically and melted down. So they are one of a number of weak links um, and unfortunately the expectation, and there'd been a number of recalls, so we had some dodgy products, we had some bad installs, but even on good ones, we still see the problem from time to time. Is this just an Australian thing? No, it's something that's, it's mostly Australian, I have to admit. And when you look around the world, not a lot of countries have adopted it. Interestingly, the UK has, and uh, we've seen some evidence of problems over there recently as well. Um, so it's not just an Australian thing. It's the, And it really comes down to a fundamental issue, Giles, and that is that we need some way of protecting those cables that go from the solar array down to the inverter. So you need some protective devices up there. You need to be able to isolate that solar array somehow, and that's that's where it's come from. Um, but sadly, it introduces another point of failure. Uh, it's a high-risk point of failure. Mm. But, but, I, but I would add that actually uh, I don't think it's rooftop isolators that are the cause of the problem. In fact, it's clear. Rooftop isolators are not the cause of... The risk, if you like, the risk comes from the fact that we're dealing with high voltage DC and isolators happen to be smack bang in the middle of that. Right. So what does that mean and what should we do to address that? Well, can you tell us a bit more about this high voltage DC and what that does? Yeah, sure. So um, there's plenty of YouTube videos if you want to understand the risks around high voltage DC. And it's like everything, you know, 240 volt AC has risks, high voltage DC has risks, they're all slightly different. Uh, you know, as the industry has grown over the last uh, 20 years, uh, and particularly the last 10, and we've moved into a lot more grid connected solar, with a drive to get prices down, String inverters have become the way to go, and they mostly operate at about 500 volts DC. And if you get a short, or you get an arc in that cable, or anywhere else in that DC system where it's very, very high voltage, it is a big, fat, dangerous uh, arc that can actually mm. melt glass and melt aluminium and, and cause fires. Uh, so high voltage DC is not something to be messed with, um, that's for sure. Um, interestingly, I was looking at some stats and, and I think there's an interesting, interesting situation here because in the UK, I was looking at some stats yesterday on this, in the UK there's about 6 gigawatts installed under 50 kilowatts in size. So let's call That's that the, the same resi as Australia. That is, it's about the same, right? So let's call that the resi and, and small commercial market. We're about the same. And up to 2017 in the UK, there'd been 58 reported solar related fires. Now, mm -hmm. in, the, in the same period, roughly in Australia, there were 400 solar related right? fires. Yeah. Now, partially, there's a difference in the numbers because we've got so many. We've got such a large quantum of small systems, right? So you'd kind of go, yeah, that's normal. And when you look through the statistics of the failure rates, it's pretty interesting. In the UK, 36% were due to poor installation. 12% were put down as faulty products. 5% were put down to faulty system design. And almost 50% were down to unknown causes. In Australia, interestingly, 38% were put down to rooftop isolators. 13% down to wiring, 9% down to the inverter, and 40% down to unknown causes. So sim mm. similar kind of statistics. But the isolators are really standing out in Australia, which, again, I think is as a result of the fact that we've got such a proliferation of small systems. Okay. So um, we have installers, we have regulators, and we have consumers. How should each of them look at this? Is there a push then to actually change the standards? And if consumers are worried about this, um, maybe this is a subsequent question, um, what should they do and what technology or sort of equipment should they choose? 
Yeah, good questions. So I think the first thing to say is uh, there is not, and statistically, again, if you look at the number of solar rooftop fires in Australia each year, statistically, it is an extremely small number. In fact, I saw a statistic somewhere that said it was less than 1%. And of course, once a fire has happened, it's very hard to actually pinpoint the cause. But less than 1% of, of fires in Australia are caused, as, that we know of, by solar. So solar in itself is not inherently unsafe. And I don't think uh, uh, DC, high voltage DC, is inherently unsafe provided a whole lot of precautions are taken it's so properly installed for instance absolutely and when you look when we're starting to see these statistics coming out we can see that products are obviously critical isolators are obviously critical wiring is critical inverters are, are, are an important so it's it's about not trying to skimp if you skimp and you cut corners on a high voltage DC system and you don't ever do any maintenance on it, you are asking for problems. Well, it's um, the same thing if you're just sort of, you know, careless with um, sort of fuels, you know, you're, you're the fuel for your lawnmower and the stuff like that around the place. I mean, exactly know, right. You're, you're, you're just sort of increasing the risk. Is, is there any sort of talk about pushing for change in standards here? Because this is something, as you said right at the start, that this was introduced 20 years ago. Um, it may have been sort of surpassed by, you know, new knowledge and new technology. Do we need to have you, a rethink there? Yeah, that's, that's uh, a very salient point. And certainly there have been calls because of the high number of failures that we're seeing and, and the recalls particularly around some of the early types of DC isolators and the difficulty in controlling quality from a regulatory point of view. It's extremely difficult. Um, but there have been huge calls to pull D DC isolators out of the equation, to just simply ban them and take them out. And in fact, a couple of uh, reports I read just last night um, were proposing the same thing. Uh, I personally, after looking at this issue and talking to a lot of people about it, although I'm probably going to get some flack uh, from my installer buddies, um, <laughs> I actually don't think we can take DC isolators out of the mix because as soon as we do that, we're then left with unprotected cabling, right? And 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 that's almost a, a worse scenario than what we've currently mm. got. What about uh, going forward then for new installations? So, so going forward, um, certainly, I, I think an increased emphasis from the regulators and the standards committees on continuing to look at this issue and continuing and they've done lots of little things so for example uh, uh, the use of stainless steel cable ties that can't corrode and let can ca cables dangle around which introduces a risk of those cables chafing that's one of the little, little tiny changes that's been made over the years um, certainly in the manufacture of solar panels and I witnessed this myself uh, when I I was at a large manufacturer, we were subject to a recall, um, a global recall in fact. And one of the things that we learned out of that as a manufacturer was that when you're building a solar panel, and we were talking about the, the Giles Parkinson 2000, the best panel you can buy last week. <laughs> if, if, if you go back to the Giles Parkinson 2000, what makes a good solar panel? Well, one of the elements that you can choose that adds a little bit of cost is fire retardant material. Right mm -hmm. now, when we had this fire, uh, this this recall uh, for the company that I was working for, one of the things that we discovered was the goop that we used inside the junction box was propagating the fire. It wasn't fire yeah. retardant, right? Mm. And so that's another example of where right upstream, the international standards uh, that 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 set the rules around what materials you can and can't use in the manufacture of solar panels have a really big role to play. Secondly, if you buy cheap 
Do you think you're going to get the fire retardant materials? Probably not, no. right? So again, it's, it's that same sort of story. Um, so certainly it's about materials. It's about choosing installers and giving them the breadth and paying a little bit more to give them the time to do things properly. Um, certainly it's also about making sure that you respect that you're going to need to maintain your system and have a check done on it every now and again. And then lastly, we are heading towards changes in technology that now provide alternatives. So there are alternatives that you can choose to high voltage DC on your roof. So if you're really, really worried about it, there's a way around it. So tell us what those alternatives are just specifically. I mean, is, are you talking about um, uh, microinverters and um, AC coupling, things like that? Yeah, exactly right. So solar optimizers and AC uh, conversion on the rooftop using microinverters are the two ways that you can effectively eliminate the high voltage DC risk because you're either converting it to 240 volts straight on the roof, that has its own risks, but those risks are not fire related typically. Um, and it's a lot more standard and you're dealing with less current and everything else. Um, and then and you get the added advantage, presumably, of being able to deal more efficiently with um, shade issues. That's right. There's a whole lot of... Um, uh, I'm, I'm not here to uh, promote or otherwise any particular type of technology. That's not my role. But I think the point was made to me very, very succinctly that, you know, if you are worried about this risk, there are technological, technological alternatives that you can select right now. It'll cost you a little bit more. Um, same way that you know, buying a car that meets the top CanStar rating will cost you a little more. Are you prepared to pay a little bit more to have something that's safer? Okay, if you are, there's an option for you. And I, and I think over time, we're starting to see technology heading towards this way. So far, it seems to be microinverters and DC optimizers that, yeah. that have the monopoly on the safest solution. They tend to be a bit more expensive, but I guess it's just like any issue, whether you're buying a fridge or whether you're buying any sort of appliance or even whether you're buying a car. You know, if you buy the cheapest, you're getting what you pay for, basically. Yep. Yep, you're exactly right, and and you know one of the um, one of the interesting bits of scuttlebutt that I heard in the last week, Giles, and you'll love this one, is that um, there's a very uh, there's a very large company um, um, run by a, an even larger person called Tesla, and uh, they they the, com the company's called Tesla, and I think we can actually say that the person running it is Elon Musk, but still <laughs> often often seen around these areas because his girlfriend's actually filming um, in the Gold Coast at the moment. Oh, so I heard. So I heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I saw a presentation uh, by one of the Tesla team the other day, and there's a bunch of really, really great people there who are doing terrific stuff. It was a really interesting presentation because um, one of the things that they highlighted was how they believe safety and quality is fundamental to their entire success, right? Absolutely fundamental. If Tesla cars burn, it doesn't look good, they don't sell cars. If their rockets explode and burn, it doesn't look good, they don't get to go to Mars. <laughs> if their batteries that they're promoting uh, catch fire, it doesn't look good. So there was this massive emphasis in saying, yeah, our success, your success, everything is contingent on us demonstrating safety and quality and rolling our gear out. And, and it's a great mantra to have. What was really interesting to learn, though, was they've got a, um, a roadshow going on at the moment with a micro house. It's a little miniature version of a, a dressed up as a Tesla house with solar roof tiles and one of their batteries driven by a Tesla, of course. And it's, it's traveling the country, um, you know, telling a great story. And what was fascinating to me to, it was to learn that even though they have their own inverter solution, which is typically DC coupled, they didn't choose to use their own inverter. They chose to use 
microinverters made by a large American company who's, who, who we all probably know who that is. And what was interesting was that the, the rationale that they chose for that was they wanted the safest solution. If they're going to be in public areas, if they were <laughs> going to be having a situation, what's the safest thing that we could do? Well, we'd have to use in-phase microinverters on that rooftop. And that, to me, was very, very telling. It, when, when a company who, who makes its own inverters chooses to use someone else's because they're safer, you kind of go, wow, what's that mm. telling us? What's mm. that telling us? <laughs> a nice little anecdote to finish the, um, finish the discussion. Um, Nigel, thanks very much for that. Um, look, um, I'm not too sure if there's any other questions. If people have got questions um, about this, feel free to join the discussion. Um, you know, you'll find the podcast um, on the website and there's like a discussion area behind it and we'll be looking at it and um, Nigel can come and say, well, if there are any questions from other installers um, or consumers or even regulators, <laughs> yeah. please please put them down and make suggestions. And um, We haven't heard look, from the regulators yet, have we? <laughs> I'm sure they're listening, Nigel. In fact, I know they're listening. I know they're listening. Um, so, look, we've got, some, um, we've got some more interesting subjects coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, the, look, uh, I think the list is now at about 20 different topics that we could potentially cover. Um, I, I've got a couple up my sleeve that I'd love to uh, love to get onto the agenda pretty soon, telling some fabulous stories just about what people are doing out there and what we're seeing and what, what we're learning. So, so much to talk about. Good stuff. Nigel, thanks once again. Um, thanks to Solar Analytics for sponsoring this and thanks to the listener for tuning in. Yes, indeed. Okay, look forward to your feedback. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and saves money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.